This weekend, across all of our sites, Calgary, Coquitlam, Langley North, Langley South, and Surrey, approximately 5,000 people will listen to this sermon. And um, approximately, I've been told, another 5,000 people over the next month may listen to it online. That's approximately, actually it is, 10,000 people in Saskatchewan, we would have called that a mega city. I came across some interesting statistics, um, and I'm going to assume for a minute that most of us in this room, except for infants, are between the ages of 14 and 85, and some interesting statistics uh, alert us to that in 25 years, approximately 10% of us, or 1,000 of us, will be dead. In 50 years, 70% of us, or approximately 7,000 of us, will be dead. I'm probably in that group. If we keep going down, in 65 years, 80% of us will be dead, and the 2,000 of us that are alive are those of you who are under age 25. In 75 years, 97% of us will be dead. There's about 300 left. In 80 years, there might be 8 to 12 of us left. In 90 years, there's maybe one or two, and you'll be known as a centenarian, and you'll get a birthday card from the prime minister um, every one of your birthdays after 100. And in 100 years, we're all gone. 2020, some of us will likely die. In the next couple months of 2019, maybe one or two of us will die. It doesn't matter if you're a skeptic, it doesn't matter if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or if you just received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior at our most recent Alpha Day. This is the most universal question or concept that we can talk about, and what will happen to you is the people that love you, or say they love you, and the people you love will dress you up nice, and they will put you in a box, and they will either run you through an incinerator, or they will plant you in a six-foot hole, throw dirt on it, and then go back to someone's large home or a reception area where they will drink weak coffee and eat egg salad sandwiches cut in the shape of a triangle with pickles and olives on the side, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about that. You can maybe delay it a couple of years if you just eat rabbit food. That's not the question. We don't actually even talk about that. The odds of us dying are one in one. The question is what happens next? And that is actually one of the most universal questions we can ask at Village Church because it doesn't matter if you're a skeptic, first time here, it, it's all of us, one in one. We're all going to die unless uh, the Lord actually comes back in the meantime, but we'll just leave that off the plate for a minute. Welcome to Village Church. My name is Ken. I'm one of the pastors here, and we have the opportunity to invite you to turn with me to Master uh, to First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. I'm not sure what master class we're on, but it's the third from the end. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 12 of chapter 15. Last master class, Pastor Mark covered the first four verses. We're going to kind of pick it up in verse 5, but I want to give it to us for context. Math, uh, sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 1. We'll read till about verse 12. Now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the words I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day in according to the Scriptures, 
and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter, then he appeared to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, the, it's actually a very graphic word picture, uh, what Paul's really saying, as one untimely born, the, the product of a failed abortion, that's literally what he says, as someone untimely born, the Lord Jesus appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be even called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all the rest of the guys, though it wasn't me, but it was the grace of God that's in me. So whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now, if it is preached and proclaimed that Christ has been raised from the dead, why in the world are there some of you who claim there is no resurrection from the dead? If you've been part of Masterclass, you know that the First Corinthians is a letter, it's a response that Paul is addressing the Corinthian church. They had a bunch of questions. and But now near the very end, this is the first time he actually shifts. He had answered all the questions and he actually shifts and he wants to address a question that they haven't even asked because they didn't think it was a big deal. It's about the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They didn't even see it as a problem. Kind of like in their initial conversion, they received the gospel, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Check. Good. Jesus Christ was buried. Makes sense. Dead people are buried. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, probably, I guess it could make sense if Jesus was actually God, but I've never seen someone raised from the dead, have you? Besides, I'm not sure it's that important or even relevant. I'm even less sure, and this is one of the other, there are some people that believe Jesus probably rose from the dead, but didn't actually believe that they would rise bodily from the dead and stand before God. And if I would paraphrase verse 12, it's like Paul saying, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? This is not a secondary issue. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of you and I bodily that one day we will stand before God, that's not a secondary issue. Head coverings, secondary issue. Whether you eat meat, sacrifice to idols or not, you know, secondary issue to pace in your conscience. This is not a secondary issue. You cannot pick and choose on the fundamentals of Christianity. You can't, fund, you can't pick uh, what you like about it and what you don't like. Not on the fundamentals and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fundamental belief. The entire Christian faith rises or falls on the resurrection. What is wrong with you? And then he goes on a bit of a rant, which Paul often does. But if there's, verse 13, but if there's no resurrection from the dead, get this, then not even Christ was raised. In other words, if you're not going to be raised from the dead in our faith, in Christianity, that means that Jesus Christ wasn't even raised. If he's not raised, then our preaching's in vain. Your faith's in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God, which was a capital offense. You could sue us or kill us. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he, did, um, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He repeats that. It's a big issue for Paul. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And here's the big one. And you are still in your sins. Then those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You're never going to see him again. And if in Christ we have hope and, um, for only this life, we above all people are the most pitied but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. What's wrong, with the first, what's wrong with the first Corinthian church? What's wrong with the Corinthian church is the same thing that's wrong with you and I. 
In one sense, it's not really wrong with us, it's just our reality. Christianity was born into a culture and Christianity exists in our culture in which the basic belief of the Christian faith is not believed. The resurrection from the dead. If you think about it, there's not, I was thinking about this just early this morning, there's not a lot in the Christian faith that's offensive. I mean, the Jesus, that God loves us, that's not offensive. Even if I don't believe, that's not offensive. That Jesus would come down to earth, we get Christmas, bonus. That he loved us so much, he taught us who the Father was, that's a bonus. That he died for our sins. I don't think you have to convince people that they sinned. We all know we messed up. That's a bonus. That he paid the price for our sins so that we could spend uh, uh, an eternity with God in heaven, that's a bonus. It's the resurrection from the dead that's the offense, the idea that that means that I'm might one day stand before God and have to give an account. That's an offense. That's an offense to a lot of people. The Corinthian church, the, cu the culture in which they lived, they had three basic beliefs on the afterlife. The most common belief was that there was this underworld, which they called Hades, where the spirits of the dead went after they died. Um, very, very much, that's probably the most po popular belief that we have today. There, in their belief, uh, it was called Hades. In their belief, there was two compartments where the the people would go. Uh, one was called, I got to say this right, Tart. Tartarus, and that was the place that the bad people went. Torment for them. And then there was another place called Elysium, and that was pleasure for the, the, the virtuous, the good people. And the, the basic um, understanding went sort of like this. If the life, it's also the most popular belief today. If life after death exists, and I am relatively good, which I am, I should be okay. I'm hoping that there's another place, you can call it hell for the really, really bad people, but that's not me because I'm not really, really bad people. Most people don't actually want universalism where everyone goes to heaven. They don't really want Hitler to go to heaven. They don't really want some really bad people to go to heaven. So there's probably a hell, and that is reserved for those really, really bad people like Hitler and like Osama bin Laden and like that, that evil hockey mom who stole your son's first place for, on, the, on the first line at center ice because they made a big donation, bought the jerseys, and washed them all the year, and probably for that really evil person that took your parking spot this morning. Other than that, um, we, if we're relatively good, we go to heaven. That is the most popular belief today. It was the same popular belief there. It, was the, it paralleled the Hebrew idea of Sheol. We all go to this place, and we're disembodied spirits, and that's where we spend eternity. The problem is, no one, and, and a lot of us believe that, the problem is a lot of us never take the time to think that through to its logical conclusions or some of the details there. Who decides, this is the big one, who decides what's really, really bad? Where's the line? Who decides what's good and what's bad? And also, are my bad, my sins, are they actually really overlooked? How does that work? How does that is actually fair? How are the sins where other people committed to me? Are they actually overlooked? If someone raped me as a child and now they've done a lot of good things and gave a lot of money, is that actually overlooked? Is there no, no one's really thought it through to its end conclusion. What kind of bodies do we have? All that kind of stuff. And no one really needs to because 364 days out of 365 days, we don't have to think about death. Some of us don't even have to think about it that other day. It's usually just when someone dies that we have to think about it. So they just kind of went on with their life. And most people prefer to believe what they prefer to be true. A few people believed in reincarnation in that day, and a lot of people believe in reincarnation today. And that reincarnation is really moving through the various stages of soul evolution, and where soul becomes into higher and higher states. And if we don't do good in this world, we get a do-over, we come back. And if we do good, then we move to a higher level, a higher level of consciousness, a higher level of being. And if we're bad, then we move to a lower level of consciousness, a lower level of being like a cat or something like that. Um, but, and, but we don't, it's not really that bad. We, we get a, we get a do-over. If reincarnation's good, if, if then we, we get a do-over. That's another belief. 
And an even smaller number of people in that day, um, and probably a, a larger number in our day, believe in soul disillusion. In other words, soul annihilation. After we die, there's just nothing. Some people also today believe um, in soul sleep, which is basically we're just unconscious, just like when you go to bed, but you're not really non-existent. That's the other belief. And then some people, I guess, believe in that we come back as angels, but that's more like comfort food. It's just a good idea. It makes sense to little kids. Your mom's an angel now. It's more a feeling of comfort. There's a, there's a show, I didn't know about it, uh, Michael Cinchella told me about it. There's a this, there's this show called um, Hot Ones where a guy by the name of uh, Sean, Sean Evans, he interviews celebrities on hot topics while they're eating hot wings. And the idea is you eat hotter and hotter wings. You have to eat 10 hot wings and they get hotter and hotter and hotter while you're having this conversation. And if you make it through all 10 hot wings, you get to promote your book or whatever you're doing. And uh, the, the idea is the hotter you get, and these guys are sweating, they're downing milk, they're pouring water because the wings are so brutally hot, they're actually in pain. The idea is, the more hot wings you get, the more vulnerable you are, knocks off your filter, and you just say whatever. So Sean, Sean, um, Sean Evans is, is uh, interviewing this guy named T.J. Miller, who's a stand-up comedian and all that kind of stuff. And he says, uh, near the end, there are about uh, seven or eight hot wings. He says, what happens after we die? And T.J. Miller says, who cares? It won't affect us any. And he says, we'll find out when we get to mega death, <laughs> that, that level of, of hot wings. But did you hear what, what he, Miller is saying? He's saying, on one hand, what he's saying is correct. What we believe about what happens after we die actually has no bearing on what actually happens. It's already figured out. What you believe about what happens does not change what happens after you die. On the, on the other hand, um, but once you consider, if you think about it, if, if Hades is right, most of us will be okay because most of us are good people. If reincarnation's right, it's not so bad, we get a do-over. If soul sleep or soul annihilation is the reality, none of us will even know. But if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, then all of us will stand before God and give an account of our lives. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then it, it was logical to believe that everything else he said was true. Paul's pretty hot about this topic. There's a couple of reasons why he's so, so hot about this topic. If you look at verse 8 and 9, how did Paul refer to himself? Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles. There's a very u- unique progression of how Paul viewed himself. Um, earlier, uh, before he became a Christian, he, he viewed himself and he identified himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm one of the most faithful to the most strict religious persons. I am impeccable duty. I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. And then he met Jesus Christ, who knocked him off his horse and humbled him a lot. And he realized that he doesn't actually even deserve to be called an apostle, and yet God still wanted to use him, so he called himself the least of the apostles. And then near the end of his life in First Timothy, he actually identifies himself as the chief of sinners. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I have the actual worst. You see, Paul felt he was a wretched man. Why? He killed, he killed Christians. He persecuted the church. And yet the same man boldly declared in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the, power, the, law of the Spirit of, of Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. If any man, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, uh, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, has come. This is a man who spent the majority of his life leading people away from God. This is the man who would have, would have approved of the execution of Jesus Christ. And this is a man that then went and pursued people who were following Jesus and accepted Jesus as their Savior and put them in jail and even killed some of them. He, he destroyed the people of Jesus Christ and now he's standing in, in front of other people. How in the world could he have no shame? Paul had no shame, even though he did all those awful things. Can you say that? 
So what, well, how could Paul have no shame? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead and actually can offer you new life. And I find there's a lot of people, there's a lot of Christians that can't identify with Paul and can't say there is no condemnation for me. There's a lot of Christians in this audience right now who are listening to my voice that know this in their head but actually believe that they are somehow the least of the apostles, the worst of all sinners. And even God can't forgive. There's some things that we've done that are just unforgivable. Some people believe that. See, for Paul, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, he said it, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, this is why Paul was so hot about it, then we are still in our sins. The wages of sins, Romans 6, verse 23, the consequences of our sins is death. That, that's the price. And if death, because this is where it's really important, if death could have held Jesus, then that would mean the payment for our sins is not complete. If someone is still in jail, it means their debt to society has not been satisfied. Genesis chapter 3, God said, the day you eat of the, knowledge of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that day you will die. And we ate of the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we began to die. The reason people die according to God, the only reason people die according to God is because of sin. I mentioned in an earlier sermon, I, I preached at my father's funeral a little while ago, and I had a two-point message. Why did, my, why did my dad fear God? Because he knew he'd stand before him. Why did my dad love Jesus? Because of all the things that are not said at a funeral. My dad was a good man, but he sinned. He inherited sin from Adam and Eve, just like you and I did, but he also figured out ways all on his own to sin. My dad died because he sinned. He loved Jesus because of all the things that were not said at the funeral that only Jesus could pay the price for. If, if God, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, you and I would still be in our sins. We would still be dead. There'd be no payment. There'd be no hope for the afterlife for us. I deserve hell. You deserve hell. The reason in John, uh, 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. And in this passage, it says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is Satan's trump card. It's the one he holds over us. He's held over us. The fear of death was his trump card. But in rising from the dead, Jesus Christ won back the ground that Adam and Eve surrendered, and he can offer us new life. I want you to let you let's sink in for a minute. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. When I became a Christian, that was the verse I held on to because I made so many mistakes. And since then, I've made so many mistakes. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead, he can actually offer us new life. He can offer us a second chance. He can offer us a third chance. He can offer us a 15th chance. And some of us have become Christians and then made mistakes, and now we feel like we have to take a second place. And I know there's certain consequences for sins. There's consequences for things we've done. But even now, God's got a plan A for your life right now. Because he rose from the dead, he can actually offer that to you. Some would say it's ironic, some would say it's the sovereignty of God that my rotation to preach happens to be on a Freedom Session registration Sunday again. If you want to know what Freedom Session is, it's one of the communities that we invite you to experience here at Village Church. It's a gift. It's a 20-week journey in which you take the time to process some of the hurts, the things that have been done to you, and the things that, that you've done to hurt other people. My experience tells me over the years is there's probably about five to eight memories where we've been hurt, deep, where we've been hurt usually as children or teenagers or, or elsewhere. We've been betrayed, we've been hurt, we've been abused, we've been called failures, we've been um, unfairly fired, whatever, and we begin to believe lies in our hearts about us that Satan now uses to control us. And then there's probably about five to eight memories of things we've actually done that we've actually hurt other people, some secrets that we're going to take to the grave. Plus there's all the ways that we numb our hearts to escape pain and avoid conflict. 
And that's what on this journey you'll uncover and begin and invite Jesus Christ into the truths of, of, what, uh, of how he views you and that second and third chance. Why well, I say that is, yes, there's registration. You can, we got two sites, uh, Langley North and uh, Surrey is, is launching again. But there's pushback from longtime Christians. Why do we even need something like this? Why do we need to do this navel-gazing? Why do we have to go back? If Jesus Christ died, rose from the dead, why don't we look forward? They'll even cite the Apostle Paul who said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what, what lies ahead, I press onward for the upward call of, of Jesus Christ to the prize. Why are we looking at all, all this? And then they, they use the Apostle Paul. But what they forget is Paul wasn't in denial. Paul wasn't in denial. He faced full on what he had done. And he still said with no shame, there is no condemnation for me. Have you, can you say that? Have you faced all those things? Because shame is undealt with guilt, whether it's false guilt or true guilt. Can you say that? If you haven't, hope to see you on that journey. And then he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace towards me was not in vain. There's a number of other negative consequences that we would have if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We could look at, I mean, Sunday morning would look incredibly different at Village Church because you think parking's bad now. Just imagine it. It was bad if you had to pull a cattle trailer for all the, all the animals you'd have to sacrifice. That's literally what would happen here. We wouldn't be singing songs in a sermon and, and having communion. We would be actually sacrificing animals for our sins. That's literally what we would have to do because we all we would feel guilt and that was the way of appeasing our guilt. We'd bring a sacrifice. We'd feel better. Something had to die for my you just imagine Mark, Mark up here, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's up here with his, his knives and stuff like that. You're a disaster. Your attitude's towards your wife. That'll cost you three sheep. Oh, you looked at porn. That's add a ram to that. Oh, you did a dishonest deal in business. Six turtle doves. Okay, next. You'll think that's bad. Add a, add a couple pounds of flour, gluten-free. And then you'd chop that up and we would do it again. That's what we'd be doing. Onboarding training for volunteers would include butchery. We'd literally have to do that. That's what we'd have to do. I went around and asked the staff, how many, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what would change in your life? Almost all of them would quit. I actually got to kind of wonder about the ones that would keep working if Jesus didn't rise from the dead because it's sort of our foundation of our faith. But I need to stop for a minute and I need to face, we need to face a really important reality. Nowhere, in, nothing that the Apostle Paul has said so far and nothing that I've said has actually proved that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Just because there'd be negative consequences if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that doesn't prove that he rose from the dead. Just because I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that doesn't prove that he rose from the dead. And interesting, Paul does not give any scientific evidences for Jesus rising from the dead. Why not? Because he met him. Verse eight. Like someone untimely born, he appeared to me also. And he said he appeared to 500 people who are also alive. He appeared to me. He, Paul didn't need any other arguments because once you've experienced the living Christ, and not all of us have, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but not all of us in this room have actually experienced the living Christ, the power of the resurrection that according to Ephesians chapter one lives within us. Some of us live a life so safe that we, 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 we pray prayers that are already answered, like Jesus be with me, where's he gonna go? Can you really imagine if Jesus showed up in the flesh in the resurrected body today and said, let's have prayer request time, would you really ask him be with us? He's standing right here? No, we would ask him for prayers that can only be answered if the resurrected Christ is alive. 
Paul had experienced him. He, he, had, he had always taught against him. Jesus, the guy that I taught was dead. He appeared to me. He knocked me off my donkey. I was blind. He spoke to me. Then three days later, this guy named Ananias lays hands on me, and I, be, I was able to see again. And the power of Jesus Christ, the spirit of Jesus Christ, came over my being and filled my heart with love, and he began to speak to me and talk to me and guide me, and then he began to use me, and I've seen things happen in my life and my ministry. You cannot... You cannot convince me that Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. I saw him. I know him. My question to you is, what are your Jesus appearing to me experiences? The moments in time that you know, you know that Jesus is real. When's the last time you shared them with anybody? Some of us, over time, our faith takes a hit. Things happen in life and we pray and things aren't always answered exactly the way we wanted and our faith takes a hit. And that's why the, the psalmist would always say, oh Lord, I remember when you were here. My, my soul remembers the good old days when you came through. And when our faith takes a hit, we've got to go back and revisit those times where Jesus appeared to me. I'm not generally an experience-driven guy. I lead more towards facts and reasoning. My favorite subject in high school was math. One answer, one formula. I don't like social studies and all those touchy-feely English essays and all that kind of crap. <laughs> but you cannot convince me that Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead. You cannot convince me that he doesn't speak to us today. You can't convince me that he doesn't heal and have authority over sickness and disease. And I know that not everyone's been healed that I pray for. There's things in my own body that I'd like to be healed. But if you can't prove to me, you, no matter, you can never convince me that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us today. You can't convince me that the gifts are not for today and that miracles still don't happen. You can't, because I've experienced it, I've seen it. And I've got, even in preparing for this message, I had to go back in time and revisit some of those. And you know the Apostle Paul who lived with no shame? I can tell you that. And this sounds arrogant, but I feel no shame. And it's not because I went through Freedom Session. It's because Jesus Christ has given me new life. I've got regrets. I've done a lot of things, even the last month that I regret, but I have no shame. Jesus changes that. Can you say that? If you're in a, a community group this week, you're going to have opportunity to share some of those Jesus appeared to me stories. And if you don't, have, don't make them up. You might need to go to your community group and this will give you some time to think about that. What are those experiences where Jesus appeared to me and I know for sure that he appeared? And you get to share them. And if you're a skeptic, you know, you need to text. There's a, there's a number that we, we have. You can go to the Connect Desk, text community. Try to get into a community group this week if, if you're even new, just to hear some of the stories. And if you don't have any of those stories, listen to other people's stories because when we share those moments that God really appeared to us, experiential truth, and I know that's risky because some people are probably flaking and to make some things up. But that gives encouragement and power to our testimony and here's the other thing. If you're living life safe and you don't have any of those experiences, you've probably got to put yourself in a position where you actually need God. The Apostle Paul had all kinds of things he needed God. He needed God for him to be accepted by the apostles because no one wanted to hear from this guy that used to kill Christians. People say he was a short guy. Some people say he didn't see well, you know, all those kind of things. He needed help. I need help. I need God to come through. There's things in our life that we're praying for, things just, just even right, for preaching a sermon. 
things we're trying to do at Village, things my wife and I are trying to do in our lives. I think it's last week or recently, my wife started a, a, a group contending for prodigals. It's a prayer group where we're going to pray for prodigals to come back home to the Lord. And that's it. That's the prayer. If God doesn't come through with that, we're praying big prayers. We're praying that, that God will bring people into some of our unsaved loved ones' lives, that God will remove some people from their lives, that God will arrest their attention in, in dreams and frighten them with a hopeless eternity if they don't turn. We're praying big prayers if God doesn't come through. There's a huge risk on that. But we're believing and we're going to see prodigals come back to the Lord. That's the whole purpose of that missional group. That's a place where you put yourself and you put faith. You know, some people tell stories where God really came through. God never really shows up unless you put him in a spot where we need him. Some of us need to take some risks with our finances and actually trust God with the first 10% or 8% or 15%. The Lord, there's, there's that. Some of us need to actually reorient our lives and become part, become part of the village church ministries or simply have a non-Christian friend and take that risk. Lord, I'm willing to share my faith. If I can ask this person, tell me your story. And then if they ask me my story, I'm going to take that risk and you got to come up because I'm not a good speaker. You're going to have time to share those stories. I'm going to just share two with you that happened 40 years apart. The one story, I wasn't even a Christian. I was 16 years old. I went to a Bible camp, or a weekend youth retreat, and I wasn't a Christian, but God was speaking to me, that conviction that, that something was happening inside while the speaker was, and I went back to my little cabin there, and I said, God, if you're real, then I want to go back down to the chalet, and I want Wes Fair to be there. He was our youth leader, and he was also at the camp. He was in another cabin with his wife. So I walked down to the chalet after the little devotional time I wasn't listening to. I walked down to the chalet and I was about to turn it out. Wes isn't here. God's not real. And all of a sudden, this, this guy in this yellow and green jacket comes crashing through the bush and it's Wes Fair. And he comes running. He stands right there and he didn't know why he was there. I still remember that. I was preparing for this sermon. And I don't base my entire faith, but I remember that. There's no way in the world that could have happened. And we know them uh, personally. And he's still alive today, by the way. He might even listen to this sermon. And if you don't believe me, I'll give you his email address and you can find out. He actually said that he actually had left his, he got up in the middle of the night and he says, I need to go down to the chalet. He tells his wife this. And he's going out the door and he comes back in the door and, he, and his wife says, what are you doing? He says, I need to put my socks on. I'll probably be out there for a while. If he didn't come back for his socks, he would have come, come down there too early. And I wouldn't have seen him. That's one of my experiences. Another one of my experiences happened just 40 years later, about a year ago. I was in bed and I was just, you know, we go through dry times too and I was a little discouraged and I was asking, God, I need, to, I need to hear your love for me. I just want to hear that you haven't abandoned me. And in the middle of the night, and I'd been praying that for a while, and in the middle of the night, uh, it rested me and, and I heard these words, and I don't know if it was the audible voice or not, but I heard these words, I will come to you as in John 14, 18. Write that down, John 14, 18, and you look it up when you leave. That's what God said to me. In the middle of the night, woke me up, I will come to you as in John 14, 18. And the next morning, I, I wrote, read John 14, 18. I won't forget that. Those are my experiences. How about yours? My point is, for some of us, we've got, some of us, our faith has taken a hit. We've got to revisit how God's come through, that he appeared to us, and we need to begin basing some of our decisions on the resurrected Christ, that he's alive and he exists today. And most of our experiences today are not going to be with the physical resurrected Christ, but the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, would never have come if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, because that was the whole plan. Jesus would rise from the dead and, send the, and the Father would send the promised Holy Spirit. What are your experiences? And some of you, 
need to put yourself in a place. And for some of you, perhaps, it's going to be actually crossing the line and saying today, Lord, I'm not sure if you're, true, you're here or not, but I'm going to take a step of faith and believe that you are the risen Son of God and you have forgiven my sins and I'm going to actually ask you into my heart. And I'm going to ask and I'm going to watch for you to see if you lead and guide me. I want to move to conclude. I'm going to break a fundamental rule of preaching, which is to introduce new content into conclusion. It's very short contact, but those of you, if I'm coaching you in preaching, just skip this. In one of those stories where Jesus said that he appeared to other people, it was in John chapter 21, and he appeared to the apostles. This is what was happening. They were fishing. This is after he had risen from the dead and he'd been appearing, they didn't know what to do, so they went back fishing. And they fished all night, and they didn't catch anything, and they were coming back, and this guy on the shore says, did you catch anything? And they said, no. And, he says, and so the guy on the shore said, check the other side, throw the net on the other side. All of a sudden, Peter's having deja vu moment because this happened earlier on. They didn't catch anything. Jesus said, try the other side, and they caught a bunch of fish, so they're kind of thrown over the nets. They're looking at this guy on the beach and looking over, and they catch the fish, 153 fish in the nets. Peter realizes it's the Lord. He jumps in and he starts swimming, starts swimming to shore. The last time Jesus and uh, Peter and Jesus had a face-to-face was when Je- uh, Peter had denied him three times. So I don't know what Peter's thinking. He's swimming. He wants to get to the Lord. He didn't care about the shame. He didn't care about his failures. This is the Lord, and if he's alive, I want to meet him. And he gets, it must have been an awkward uh, Jesus standing there and Peter dripping wet. Jesus breaks the silence and he says, see this little fire? Jesus had a couple of fish on the fire. And Jesus said to Peter, get some of the fish you caught. Put it with my fish. Let's have breakfast together. You think Jesus couldn't have caught a few more fish to feed all the disciples? Of course he could have. What was he doing? Same thing he's done all through history. The part I find most encouraging that is the value that God places on humankind. Early in 1 Corinthians, we didn't really cover it, but Paul's explaining how in Adam, we inherited sin nature. We all die because of Adam. God created this beautiful world. He wanted someone to take care of it, so he picked a man and a woman. All through history, whenever God wanted to do something, he picks a man and a woman, man or a woman. When God wanted to redeem humankind, he picked a man. He came down as a man. He wants to do life together. He cared, but he didn't care that Peter denied him. He cared, but he didn't care of our failures. He says, bring some of your fish. Put them here with my fish. Let's do life together. Let's accomplish my mission together. Let's forgive each other. Ask me to forgive you. I've forgiven you. That's why I died. Let's do life together. And we celebrate communion at Village Church. It's a memory. It's something to remember what Jesus actually did for us. Died. Paid the price for our sins. We don't have a sin problem. We've got just a confession problem and an honest problem. Lord, I failed. But that's not where it ends. And, and we're going to pass in a minute. We're going to sing a song and they're going to pass the elements. There's going to be bread that comes by. It's gluten-free bread and there's going to be some juice that comes by and we're going to ask you to take a little piece of the bread and, and hold it and then dip it into the juice and when you're ready to partake of it, And yes, we want you to, if there's sins in your life that you haven't confessed, of course, we want you to tell Jesus about them and ask him to forgive you. And he will. And of course, if there's someone you haven't forgiven, you probably need to make that right and say, God, I'm going to forgive this person. If there's a sin you got, something you got to make right, tell God you're going to do that. But there's that other piece. 
Bring me your life. Join it with my life. And let's do this thing together. I love you. I rose from the dead. We will one day spend eternity together. But in the meantime, there's work to do. Let's do marriage together. Let's do raising our kids together. Let's do sexuality together. Let's do work together. Let's rearrange your priorities together. Bring your life. Join it with mine. Let's do life together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you rose from the dead. That the cross and the grave was not the end. That forgiveness is not the end, but new life is the end. And as we remember what you did for us, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill us with your love, your power, your guidance, your cleansing, your forgiveness, your love, your wholeness, so that we could do life together. 